Our Bible reading today comes from Acts chapter 26, verses 4 to 18. And if you haven't got your Bible with you, there's a pew Bible there if you'd like to follow along. This is Paul speaking. The Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I I lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night, O King. It is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. All right, lovely. There we go. So if you remember where we started off this series, um, at the beginning of Acts with Jesus Christ himself speaking to the 120 gathered in Jerusalem. Today, we're going to end up in Rome, which is around 2,500 kilometres away from where it all began. And so in 30 to 40 years, there were hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands of believers across many different regions in the world. Until this point in time, it was unheard of, of religions crossing socioeconomic lines as well as ethnic lines. In the first century, nation-states had their own deities. And so where you um, were brought up, where you grew up, where you lived, basically determined your God and your religion. Christianity started crossing those lines. Luke even records that all of Asia had heard the gospel. And that doesn't mean that they all believed, but they, they all knew what it meant and what it was. And that was even before the internet. I don't know how people got information beforehand, but you know... We, we, we all get everything now through the internet, don't we? And this all started, though, with this commission that God gave in Acts 1.8. You will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, this is a great text that displays God's foresight. See, to these men, the ends of the earth was Rome. They did not know how far Africa extended south. They did not know much of Europe existed, let alone the Americas and Australia. To them, the ends of the earth was Rome. But God's foresight, he knew that the end of the earth, really that that extends to you and to me and to so much more. So where we left off last week, Paul was in Caesarea and shared the gospel with Felix for two years. But Felix was replaced by Festus, terrible name, who held Paul another two years. And then Paul pleads to be heard in Rome, as was his right as a Roman citizen. But old Festi doesn't know what to write to accompany Paul as charged. And so King Agrippa is called in to help him get a grip on the situation. Budum Ching. There you go. So King Agrippa knows about the prophets. He knows the Jewish religion and he is intrigued by Paul. And he helps Festus out. So Paul is called in and he starts talking about Jesus. He starts preaching about what God has done. That's what Jan read out. In the middle of it all, as he's explaining about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that Christ is going to rise from the dead, Festus, well, he pretty much freaks out. If you look with me at chapter 26 and verse 24, we have this. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I'm not, ex- I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. And so Agrippa's like, are you trying to persuade me to become a Christian? So you think you're going to do it in such a short time? And Paul's response is, yes, I'm trying to persuade you, and not just you, but Festus with his goofy name, I want all of you to believe as I do, to become like I am, except for these chains. <clears throat> you notice in Paul's defense of himself, he's actually pretty much completely ignoring the Jews, but rather he's preaching the gospel and the stakes are high. So here's the reality. The opportunity to share the gospel with people is always around. I think we sometimes miss it. Like, like Paul's life is on the line here and he sees an unreal opportunity not to just save his own skin but to see the gospel take root in the highest leadership structures of Rome and he seizes the opportunity. All around you and all around me are opportunities to make much of Jesus Christ. We just sometimes have to seize those opportunities and you know what? People are open to talking about spiritual realities. They're hungry to know and understand. And it's just about seizing the opportunity to do it. 
It's just about having your eyes open to be able to, in that moment, enter the space and answer questions. You know, the people I talk to about Jesus, the percentage of those who think I'm an absolute moron for believing that is pretty small. You know, it's actually tiny. Most are grateful for the opportunity to to ask questions and, and, you know, to, 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 to have some intrigue answered. And I pray that we might have the courage to take advantage and to seize these opportunities. One of the things I appreciate about Paul is even when you know, everything is going wrong and, and nothing's lined up like you want it to be lined up, Paul will use those opportunities to share the gospel or, or at least to commend God's faithfulness and goodness to you. So after meeting with King Agrippa and Festus, he's put on a ship and he tells the soldiers on the ship the Holy Spirit has told him, says he's told me if we launch this ship, we're going to get caught up in some nasty storm and there might be loss of life. The captain said, I don't know, if, I don't think he knows what he's talking about. We should be fine. And the soldiers, well, rather than listening to their prisoner, they listen to their captain, which seems like wisdom, doesn't it? You know, listen to the professional rather than the prisoner. And so they set sail for Rome. But the Bible tells us, that they get caught outside of Crete in a terrible storm. In fact, for 14 days and 14 nights, they saw neither sun nor stars. That's a pretty intense storm, isn't it? And the boat's been tossed around and everyone's mortified. And so busy are they trying to keep the boat from sinking that the Bible tells us they don't eat. You know, that they're literally just trying to keep the boat afloat and have not a single moment to be able to you know, stop them all drowning, just to keep this boat afloat, they, don't, they can't stop to eat. In the middle of all this, in the middle of this storm, the Apostle Paul stands up and says this in verse 21. So after they'd gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. Maybe not the best time for an I told you so. Maybe, just, just maybe. You know, considering that these guys were working their butts off just to keep everyone alive and keep the boat afloat. Anyway, he goes on. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. And so here Paul's world is falling apart. And in the middle of the chaos, he stands up. And after his I told you so moment, he says, The God to whom I belong and to whom I believe in has said this to me. And you should believe in it. You should have faith because I trust we will all be well. This is what we must do. And so here's what I'd like to talk about just briefly here in light of this moment, this opportunity being seized. I feel like many of us are hesitant to ever share the gospel with other people because we don't feel like we're quite the example that we should be yet. But please don't buy into the lie that you need to be in a better place for you to be effective at sharing the gospel with others because that is a lie. It's a perfect lie. One of the brightest billboards of the sufficiency and grace of Christ is 
our weakness. It's not our strength. You might be thinking, hold on, Aaron. If I start trying to tell somebody about Christ and they really looked at my life, they would consider me a hypocrite. And listen, I love you. You are. I am too. We're all hypocrites. We all need to fight against hypocrisy in our lives so often because that's, that's what we are. We are not perfect. But here's what all of us should be taking away in our weakness. So let's say, um, I don't know, say, say you're, you're struggling, you're in a place and you're struggling with your marriage. You know, marriage might not be easy. Or maybe you're struggling with an addiction of some type. Um, maybe you, you have a tendency to fall back into sinful patterns. Our position and posture is that we're going to confess that, that we're going to seek help. You know, the church is full of people who recognize that they are not good people, that we need a saviour. And so we, we are in that posture of coming constantly before God in repentance, saying, God, I need your forgiveness, I need your love, I need your grace, you know, I need your mercy. And so when you think about the ground that we have in common with those who don't believe, it, 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 there's a lot because they too are sinful just as we are. The only difference really is that we seek help. Right? So we have that in common. And if you've got doubts you know, and you share that you've got doubts, then, then you can say to people, well, let's go find the answer together. Whether your marriage is hard, you're struggling with sin, and you know, this is where I believe Christ's sufficiency will be seen. That yeah, we fall back into sin at times, but in this, the goodness and the grace of God, here's how I'm trying to walk, seeking to be upright, seeking to be in this community in this family, with people around me to help stir me up towards love and good deeds. Now, if you wait until you're perfect, you're never going to herald. And surely you know that people don't look at you and think how cool you are because you've got it all together and are perfect. So, man, I can do nothing but follow this Jesus that you do. But that's just not reality. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough is actually the whole point of the gospel. We we are not good enough. That's why we need a saviour. That's why God sent us Jesus. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to seize your opportunities. While Paul is shipwrecked on the island, he seeks out believers there and encourages them. Then they board another ship and set sail again for Rome. And then from there, Paul finally, he gets to Rome. And true to his MO, once he gets to Rome... He waits a few days and then contacts the rulers of the Jewish synagogue. You know, his MO is Jews first, then Gentiles. In all his journeys, he stops in at the synagogue first, proclaims, then when he gets rejected and things go bad, as it always did, he then goes somewhere else. And that's exactly what he does here. And so I want to pick it up in Acts chapter 28 from verse 20. If you'd like to read that for me, please. But I want to stop there because it seems like in this moment... The opportunity that's being seized is an opportunity where the deck is pretty much stacked against Paul. We all know at this point in time, throughout the ancient world, the Jews have not jumped on board quickly for the message of Jesus as Messiah. They just haven't. In fact, they have been hostile. They have been aggressive. They have been violent. And yet, despite the fact that his experience had been bad, these people were not going to be opened, despite Paul's experience that this was probably going to end with him being beaten again or ostracized or, or maybe even having more false, trumped-up charges levied against him, 
he calls and he begins to once again expound and share the gospel, even though he knows that they do not want to listen and that they wouldn't be interested. So I want to just sort of, in, in honesty here, I want us just to, in a moment, you know, if this is you, just, just pop your hand up. How many of you know people who are just like, you know, I, I, just, I just know that they wouldn't be interested? I can see the way they live their life. I, I know what they value. I, I just know that they would not be interested. And I don't know why I would share. How many would say that, that you know people like that? Okay, so, so nearly all of us, right? But we know people who we reckon there's no way they'd be interested. I see what they value, what they're after, how they live their lives. I mean, they're sinners who are sinning, right? They wouldn't be interested in this. And yet verse 24 says, But some were convinced and believed. I'm not asking you to turn into some sort of weird stalker or anything. But my experience has been that even those who are hostile to the gospel will certainly allow you to pray for them. It seems to be one of the greatest hypocrisies of a secular mind to simply ask, hey, do you mind if I pray for you? I've never been turned away. No one's ever said, nah, no thanks. No one. I've never had it. You know, then it gives you, some, you can ask then for all the information, you know, how can I pray for you? Can I pray for you and how can I pray for you? And then it opens a dialogue and maybe later you can share with that person, you know, oh, you know, here's a Bible verse that I, I thought of while I was praying for you the other day. Um, you share with them a verse or, or even something you've read, you could maybe send it to them and say, hey, you do want to catch up over a coffee, we can chat about this, I thought it might help um, your situation. You know, and, and then that, 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 that builds on love by simply just saying, hey, I'm going to pray for you and how can I serve you? It's pretty pretty easy, actually. See, Paul told Agrippa, whether short or long, our hope is that you would be as we are, except for these chains. He sees the opportunity. And then, then the last thing we see here is that Paul, and we've already seen it in, in, in Acts already, Paul is going to do this until the day he dies. He was going to seize every opportunity. He was going to take any chance he was going to look for any window and even when it's not there he would still take it to preach the gospel to those who might hear for those who might believe and we see this probably most clearly in the fact that paul while he was in ephesus says i'm heading to jerusalem and the spirit testifies to me that what waits for me there is affliction and imprisonment and Paul says this in chapter 20 of verse 4, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and my ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul's like, hey, look, even if I'm in prison, well, that's just a different audience that I get to preach the gospel to and bring the hope of the gospel to. You know, that, that's just another opportunity to introduce different people to Jesus. So I get to stand in front of kings and tribunes and governors. It gives me the opportunity among the elite of culture to make known the glorious deeds of Jesus Christ. I count my life as nothing, as nothing to me for the privilege of serving. So if it means I die, then I die. But until then, I'm going to seize any and every opportunity to make much of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ 
for the good news of the forgiveness of sins and for the fullness of life to be had. In the last couple of verses we read in the book of Acts are these. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So that's the last picture we get of Paul. A man under house arrest awaiting trial before Caesar who without hindrance and all boldness and at his own expense is sharing the gospel with any and all who will hear. Now history tells us that somewhere between 62 AD and 67 AD, that trial actually happened. The Apostle Paul is dragged out to the outskirts of Rome and he is beheaded. And so his desire to share the gospel until death to any and all who would hear ran its course. And God's plan was not just to Rome, but to the ends of the earth. And you and I can trace ourselves back to the 120 men and women in Jerusalem standing face to face with the resurrected Jesus Christ and him saying, you will receive power. Somebody seized the opportunity with us. Maybe it was your mum and dad. Maybe it was a friend. But somebody seized the opportunity. They prayed for you. They shared the gospel with us somebody sees the opportunity to make much of jesus christ for us and here we are worshippers of the king and now it's our turn now it's our turn so now both as in as the individual and as well as the church as a whole we seek to seize every opportunity that we might grab hold of to make much of the name and renown of Jesus Christ and to humble ourselves before him, to bring glory to God, to bring the hope of the gospel. It is our turn. We need to grab hold of opportunities to make much of Jesus Christ, grab hold of opportunities to humble ourselves, grab hold of tangible opportunities to say this isn't about us, it's about him. I want us to step into that space trusting that God is good, gracious and right. So once again today as a church, I thought it would be good to close our time together praying for our church in just a moment, praying for the position we're in right now as we look to God as he reveals to us the shape and, and of our ministry into the future. You know, This week we opened the church on Thursday for everyone to be involved in the process of, of helping to shape our values that will guide us into the next season of ministry together. We shared where we're at in the process so far and the excellent work that the guiding team has put in and the blessing there's been to see everything come together smoothly in a real great sense of unity and a real confirmation, I believe, from God that I believe we're on his path, the right path together. And so, yes, it's our turn to seize the opportunities God is placing before us and to discern our shape and fit for the ministry he's leading us into as a church. And that's the next step of this process, to discern how our values fit in and shape the expressions of ministry through our mission and vision statements and then our plans to see those become a reality. And I know that most people sort of turn off when they hear about church mission and vision statements. I know that if you've been in churches for a while, you've done this many times and you're like, ugh. Again, for some of you, it's a talk fest and totally not your cup of tea. And you probably even think that it's a distraction from actually getting in and doing the real ministry. And I get that. So why bother doing this? Is that we've seen from this series in Acts, the mission of the church hasn't changed since the day Jesus gave it to those 120 people personally. 
Well, the answer to that question is found in our context. See, Paul contextualized his mission in every city he visited. The message was the same, repent and believe. But the way he delivered it was unique to the time and the place he was in. To the Jews, it was different than to the Greeks. He used the culture of the city and of the people to explain the mysteries of God, the unknown God he made known. And that is our task today too. And so it's important to revisit these things from time to time as they help guide our ministry to the specific context that we are in right now. Society doesn't stay the same. It is different today than what it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Society is different. And our culture isn't stagnant. It is alive and it is shifting and it is changing shape. And so to contextualize the mission Christ has for us here in this region at this time is vital so that we align our hearts and minds with the heart and mind of Jesus Christ for here and for now. And so that actually ends our series in Acts. Any suggestions on preaching next week? No. It's, it's, it's like, that, that's it. We've, we've got to the last verse, the last word in Acts. We've finished our series. And I think it's been great to have this moment in time to look back at how God moved through the church in the first century, how we've seen the gospel grow and flourish and, and thousands and thousands of people come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. You know, and I pray that that will be the same thing for us here through our context at this time, in this church, in this place here too. You know, I think it's been a great series for us to remind us of what is the most important thing. It's the hope of the gospel and it's glory to God. You know, like that, that, that really, I think, is the message we take away from Acts. And now it's our turn. We've seen how Paul's done it. We can learn things from him. We've seen how distraction and religion can take away from the life and vitality that comes through faith in Jesus Christ rather than a set of rules and regulations and religion. We've seen the freedom that the gospel brings. If you think about all the things that we've learned through this series, through the last through 28 chapters of Acts, we've come a long way. And so I believe that now it is our turn to seize the gospel opportunities God has placed before us. So let me pray for us as we do that. God, our desire is to know you and to see you do a work in our day that we wouldn't be able to take credit for, but Lord, rather, Father, that you would pour out your spirit in such a way so we might even experience revival here in our day and in this place. I thank you for the good work you've done here. I thank you for the good work you've done and are doing and will continue to do. And I pray for clarity from the Holy Spirit and for crystal clear pinpoint accuracy through this time of hearing and discerning. Thank you for the invitation that you've given us through this series to think big, to take risky steps, trusting that regardless of what's on the other side, obedience is always better than being unwilling to take risks. Lord, I pray that you would keep us dialed into the great cause of seeing men and women come to know you and love you, heralding the good news, seizing every opportunity imaginable for the glory of your grace, for the joy and fulfillment of life in our own lives by the hope of the gospel. And in your beautiful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.